Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Dr. Amy Breen, good hero! What's up? How are you? Hey, Tom. Awesome. So great to be with you. Yeah, I mean, it's when your name is mentioned in each episode of the first four episodes, that means we need to get you on, right? I don't, I don't know how that happened. I mean, it was really fun to hear that, but that's kind of funny that that, that actually happened. So you're out in California and luckily we're doing this around noon time. So I didn't wake you up at like 6 a.m. to have to talk to me, right? It's only, it's 10.30. Oh, 10.30. Good. We'll, yeah, be, yeah. we'll be done by lunch, I promise. Okay. <laughs> so Perfect. tell me what's going on with you. You know, I want to start with kind of the beginning that we start with everyone. So okay. here you are, you're in high school and you're hanging out and you wake up one morning and you're in Charlottesville. So what the hell happened? Yeah. How did that happen? Um, let's see. So, well, lacrosse happened <laughs> as soccer happened for you. Um, pretty much was going to go to college for, for playing lacrosse. And, um, funny enough, before recruiting really happened, I did a Southern road trip with my mom kind of hit Duke and UNC and Virginia. And I distinctly remember being on grounds and, going to the car and we had, I guess we'd already done that tour and there was something else we were going to do. And I said to my mom, I'm like, let's not bother. I'm not coming here. I don't, I don't like it. And she's like, Oh, okay. And we got in the car and we left. I'm like, yeah, take Virginia off the list. So I had like no interest in Virginia, but then recruiting was happening. And, you know, it just so happened that the best lacrosse schools were all the Ivy, you know, some of the Ivies and Virginia. So it kind of went back on my radar and then um, did the recruit trips and Virginia just, you know, just blew them all out of the water. So basically recruiting trip entailed like hanging out on rugby road and partying incessantly. And you said, oh, this is where I go to school. This is where I could become the best lacrosse player that I could be. <laughs> well, funny enough, my dad played rugby at Notre Dame. I mean, just club. And he distinctly remembers being in Mad Bowl during a rugby tournament. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you what I saw. It was like Easter's weekend. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you what I saw, but I knew that day, none of my future kids were ever going to attend this place. And so here I was going to Virginia, but I don't even remember much from my recruit trip. Not, not for a, you know, blackout haze or anything, but I just don't, I don't really remember much, but I know that the girls, the women, made the difference. Like I just saw myself with that group of people. They were just my people. And, you know, it was true. And for four years, it was fabulous. So it's funny. I think back to my recruiting trip and the only thing I can remember was Kurt Analfo's girlfriend, but I remember her being super good looking. And I don't think I knew it was Kurt's girlfriend. So Uh she was just walking me around grounds. And in my mind, I said, 
okay, like this is definitely where I'm coming. This is awesome. (laughs) That was my vision of Charlottesville and UVA. I don't remember talking about any classes. I don't remember any buildings. I just remember walking with her. I mean, isn't that how all 18 year olds make their decision on like stupid stuff like that? Which made all the sense in the world when I was that age. Like, why would I choose it based on anything else other than soccer and the woman who's walking me around the university? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Lots of sense. So, okay, so you're this lacrosse player. You wind up on grounds. You start off. Tell us first year, new dorm, old dorm. what, What do you remember? Old dorm, Bonnie Castle. I specifically requested not to live with a teammate or athlete. I kind of wanted a different experience and I lucked out. I got a really great roommate and gosh, what do I remember from first year? It was a crazy fun year. And unfortunately I was kind of a science math kind of girl. And I started out in the e-school and what a mistake that was (laughs) because I was also, you know, playing field hockey and lacrosse and I was social a little bit. So I got really bad grades my first semester. And little known fact, to get out of the e-school, you actually have to have above a 2.0. So there was a lacrosse player that you and I both were friends with that could never transfer out of the e-school because he couldn't get his GPA high enough. Luckily, my GPA was high enough that first semester. I'm like, I am out of here. I cannot handle the e-school. So first year was fun, but tough. But yeah, good time. I wish we had better data. I would love to do a data dive and find out of the imps that are listening to this, what their GPA was their first semester. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised to think that it probably, uh, it, you're, you don't have a whole lot of 4.0s in that group just because well, they tend to be a little I'm, party group. I'm sure I skewed the number down my first semester. That was, I barely got out of the high school that year. That's uh, funny. I never knew that you, it's amazing. You think you would have below it, you could get out, right? I know. It is just crazy that they do that. I mean, the reason you want to transfer out of the e-school is because you're doing poorly or you don't like engineering, which probably means you're also getting bad grades. So why do they have that rule? Hopefully they've scrapped that by now. If anyone who's listening knows the answer to that today, I'd love to know the answer. So, yeah. okay, how did lacrosse start out for you? Was it a good first year experience or? It was. It was really good. Um, there was, we had a great group of first years and um, I was lucky enough to, to start that, you know, my first year. Um, and I lucky, you know, lucky enough, I was able to start all four years. It was intense. I was the only first year starting. So I felt a lot of pressure to kind of perform, but the, the, my teammates were just, I mean, not only were they really good, they were just fabulous people and fun. So it was just kind of what you hope for with teammates and a team experience. So, you know, the pressure was eased a little bit because they were such a great group of girls to be with. Um, I should say women at the time, it felt like girls because we were like 18 or whatever, but um, yeah. So lacrosse was great. Jane Miller. I mean, she coached us to two national championships during our time. So she was a fabulous coach, but she was uh, a very hands-off kind of standoffish coach, like, didn't know her personally at all. She didn't like let us into her personal life. So it was a very kind of business-like environment with her, which I think added to the pressure. But again, having those teammates kind of was the release valve. So that was, it made it a really fun experience. I think it's always like that with your own coach. It was like that a lot for us at times too. But it's funny because I remember Jane 
she was very friendly and talkative to me. Like, so I see her in U-Haul and it's probably oh. Uh, probably because I didn't play, right? Well, so. well Tom, answer me this. So I'm interviewing you. I, I mean, my four years at Virginia were on paper very successful for lacrosse, you know. But when I think of my four years, I think of them as being very trying and kind of tumultuous. And my, you know, always, I felt like for a year there, I was really fighting for my starting spot and, you know, always kind of having to work for it. And always kind of being under Jane's like watch list and just not feeling like a good relationship with her. And then like a couple decades later, I was at a reunion with my teammates and we've done that a few times. And we said, okay, who was Jane's pet? Um, who was her favorite? And I'm like, oh yeah, it was Sherry Greer, you know? And this is just my year of, of teammates. And they all said me. And it was like them telling me I have blonde hair. And I'm like, <laughs> my hair is brown. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, you were definitely her pet. And I realized that. And so tell me if it was this way with Bruce, like the way I perceive what was going on, I think is very different than what was actually going on. Was it that way for you? Yeah. You know, I pretty much thought the one record I set at UVA was being the most hated player ever to come through his program. By him? By him. I think a lot of us felt that way. Not I just think that that's the relationship. You're always like a little more self-conscious about things. And yeah. look, you had had amazing success. The fact that you're thinking that, what is it like for the person who's not having that sort of success? Right. True. So yeah, true. I think kind of like in my mind, it was just because it was more professional of an, of an atmosphere. So yeah. if there was professional soccer at that time, more professional lacrosse, we kind of felt like that's how it was being run. It was being run like a business. True. Very true. Yeah, I'm glad to hear I wasn't alone. I think that as an 18, 19 year old, like just perceive things very differently, you know, than actually what was actually happening, I guess. And so the one thing I wanted to ask you about was, was there any weirdness between you and the other first years when you were playing and they weren't? Did you feel any sort of awkwardness? Luckily, no. And then I'd say, I'm not sure how far into the season, another one also started starting. I think, I don't know. I think we had a special group. I mean, it takes a special group to go that far, as you know. And I think everyone was just supportive and no one was, I didn't feel any kind of uh, competition or animosity. It was very supportive. That's awesome. You're right. It does take that type of group to go the whole way. You can go yeah. pretty far with people like not gelling, but at some point you hit a road roadblock and yeah. that's is you're done. Okay. So then you decide you're not going to be an engineer and you're now, did you change your major at that point or, or did you declare a, a new major by your second year? Remind me what happened there. Yeah. I have no idea what happened. I know I started leaning towards the sciences. I became a bio major, no idea what I was going to do with it, but I definitely kind of skewed towards the sciences and kind of went that route. And then um, I actually, I mean, I'm a physician now, but I didn't come to realized that I was going to do med school until I think my fourth year, like medical school and being a doctor was never on my horizon. I was never one of those kids who said, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. I just, I remember having a talk with my dad. I can't remember. It must've been summer of my fourth year or maybe during fourth year. And we had a long talk about what the hell I was going to do. And it was law school versus med school. It kind of came down to that. And we firmly decided based on my kind of strengths and what I enjoyed that it would be law school. And I have no idea what happened to that. Somehow I ended up applying to med school instead. So I don't really remember, but law school was not part of the future. 
Well, if you if you had gone to law school like Jonathan Blank, you would now be living on Rugby Road and still living the Charlottesville dream every day. That would have been your life. Can I tell, first of all, that makes a lot of assumptions that I could have even <laughs> gotten into UVA law. Holy cow. But for years and years, and sometimes still now, I look at the uh, Virginia magazine and I look through the real estate section, looking at what house I'd love to have. So what was your first memory of the Ames? Do you remember your practical joke? Do you remember any of that? Give us the scoop. What happened? Ah, you know, I hate to say it. I think I told you this before that I um, I think like 10 years from now, I'm going to be a fully, you know, dementia patient. And so right now I'm going to fully say that I don't remember a lot of stuff. And then 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, she was right. She was early onset dementia. Um. I, so Tim was in the imps before I was. So I kind of knew a lot about the imps ahead of time. I think I had gone and done a study abroad my fall of my third year. I went to Sydney and I think I got brought in the spring of my third year, if I'm remembering correctly, because um, I have a memory of Chris Havlicek in my bedroom trying to get me to go somewhere because Tim was in trouble and Chris and I were really good friends. And I just, I'm like, this does not add up. Like what, what, you know, but um, so I'm pretty sure it's Chris who brought me in and then, you know, college in and, you know, what a amazing like group of people and just kind of overwhelmed by who was there. And um, yeah, so that's, I, but I don't remember the joke other than Tim was in trouble, which I, I don't know. Um, you have to interview Chris Havlicek, by the way, that would be a great interview. Yeah, it's, I'm not quite sure how that's going to go down. Because Chris could be like a seven hour interview. <laughs> and and yeah. I think once people start listening to it, I don't know that they could ever turn it off. It might Stop. be like, it might be a seven hour Netflix binge watch for people. Oh my God, yeah. for sure. And that's actually a memory of me, of mine for the imps was just sitting around the altar and it was the Chris Havlicek show. Like, you know, I mean, he just went on and I just remember like my abs hurting after like the next day because I'm just laughing so hard. Like, I mean, that's, I kind of associate my memories of our meetings with Chris. You might not know this, but uh, Chris was in another secret society and that secret society was affectionately called the MLS, no relation to Major League Soccer. It was the Malt Liquor Society. And the reason he started it, he was the founding father, was because one of his teammates was always razzing him about not being tapped by the imps. So so Chris felt bad for him. So he started uh, the MLS, which started on Thursday nights at their house that was, I don't know if you remember where their house was. I don't. Anyway, it was like off of JPA. So basically the founding, they had five founding fathers. They were all athletes. Uh-huh. And then their game plan was every Thursday night to induct five more athletes. Every Thursday. Every Thursday night. And those new five athletes had to bring 40s of malt liquor oh, for all of the founding fathers. So it was a it was a pyramid scheme, right? Because you would basically just keep inviting five new people. They would keep buying the beer. And then you probably don't remember this, but it became like a little bit of a thing with the athletes. And a couple of people were like, why aren't I getting tapped to be in the MLS? So 
I want to say if Ted Jeffries is listening, he might've been one of, of the like founding fathers, fathers, either five or 10, first five or 10 people at least. So yeah, so, so that is, uh, that is Chris Havlicek at his norm, which is like hysterical. Hilarious. Which was all fun and games until he's painted one night MLS on the side of a building by their house. And that was, um, we were, no one could figure it out the next day. Why MLS? It's, you have Z's, sevens, imps, and then you have the MLS. MLS. So if you ever go by Charlottesville, if you're ever walking around and you see MLS, you know that that is the malt liquor society, secret society. Now, Tom, I don't know if I didn't know about it or that's again, my early dementia, but I have no recollection of that at all. Yeah. No, well, it could be, that could be alcohol induced because if you did get in, you were, uh, <laughs> you're heavy on the malt liquor until we ran over the belt more later that night. So <laughs> you're speaking from a lot of experience. I can tell. Yeah. 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 And, and again, I don't remember any of that stuff either, but people told me that's what we did. So yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> I'm a believer. I'm a big believer. So give me some stories. Any like okay. stories you remember from UVA? Give me some stuff. I mean, imp stories or stories in general. Anything. We, we want to hear it all. Oh, Anything gosh. You got. Well, you know, since I'm still married to one of the person that's like a source of my, my stories, I'm going to have to really try to tailor it so I don't get in trouble. Well, you asked about our, where I was first year and Tim and I started dating early. Well, cause I was, I was there for field hockey preseason. He was there for soccer preseason. And for one of the, just if I could hop in for a second, uh, if I didn't say earlier, Tim, your now husband was an imp. So for anyone who's listening to this, that wasn't in our four years before us, four years after us. So Tim played with me on the soccer team, or I played with him more like it. And then the two of you got married. So, okay. I just wanted to fill in the blank on that one. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah. So it was kind of early on in our relationship. We started dating like pretty, pretty soon after school started, but um, it was like late night in Bonnie castle. And I'm on like, I think Bonnie castle must have had three floors or two floors and a ground level. I don't know, but we were high up there and someone came, my, my next door neighbor came. She's like, Amy, someone's at the window for you. I'm like, what? And she pulled me over and Tim is at this, at the window, the screen, like just scratching. And um, he was, you know, mildly intoxicated and had climbed up like the Bonnie, ca- you know, the castle, that, that snack shop underneath. The castle had a big like smokestack or something up the side and he had climbed up it and he was drunk and I was drunk. I'm like, get down from there. Like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, you know, I just want to talk. I'm like, get down, I'll come down. And I came down to see him like falling like the last like 12 feet or something. <laughs> like, thank God he was drunk because it probably like really cushioned his fall. <laughs> I hope but, that was yeah. our soccer season. That was, uh, yeah, yeah great. Was, yeah, I'll, I'll say it wasn't in season, even though it was the fall. <laughs> <laughs> Just say. We, yeah. we, it was after the playoffs. We were already done with this. <laughs> so, so okay. okay well, well, Tim will be on at some point to rebut that story or to that's give right. us maybe a different version of it, but I don't care. I kind of like that version of it. I think that's a good one. Okay, cool. Say what he wants, but I speak the truth. So I know. So, okay. So interesting. So how did you and Tim meet? Do you remember that? Um, yeah. Well, kind of, I mean, I remember um, like, this is literally preseason week. What were we there for one week or two weeks? I can't remember. Like almost two weeks. That was okay. So during those two weeks and one of the fraternities was already doing their like, I don't know if it was midnight madness or whatever, but I remember 
a group of the soccer players, you know, standing around the keg and, you know, the group of us field hockey players up on the porch and everyone's just kind of checking each other out. I remember seeing Tim there. Um, and then he says we actually started talking at Bryant Hall over the salad bar, which I don't really quite remember, but because there were a lot of Bryant Hall experiences, right? You know, that first year. But um, I think that's kind of where we met. And then we started, you know, we all hung out preseason, right? So we're all at the same parties all the time. And that's kind of, I mean, there's no, there's no magical moment, but it's funny that you said Kurt and Alfo because boy, this is like turning into like the pan Tim show, but um, like on an early, early, early in our relationship, we went on a double date, Kurt and his girlfriend, me and Tim, and Kurt picked us up because we were first years, we couldn't drive and stopped at the 7-Eleven and Kurt and Tim went in and Kurt walks out with a 7-Eleven rose for his girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, and I look at Tim and he's got nothing. And then he pulls out a lottery card and he gives me a lottery ticket. And I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> so I kind of set the stage for the rest of my life. <laughs> I still get lottery tickets. <laughs> wow. A lottery ticket. Yeah. Tim, you're very yeah. romantic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Your, your first like hint that he liked you must have been when there was a boy at the salad bar because there was like not a lot of not a lot of salad eating going on with that. Not with that. I didn't crew. even I didn't even pick up on that. So you know that's that's really good of you to say that. I didn't didn't even realize. Right. And now we're looking for a salad place all the time. Back then yeah, right. the metabolism was rocking. No one. It was oh my like, God. Where's the captain crunch? <laughs> right, exactly. God, I was thinking about like um, where we used to study and always, always like a bag of candy, you know, like something you could just pop in your mouth repeatedly. I'm like, where did that metabolism go? You know? And, and it's funny now with my own kids, especially my son, he'll bring like a bag of M&Ms. Yeah. Up. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I did that. That was yeah. dumb. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Take me through, uh, and we'll go back to some stories at school, but take okay. me through what happened after school. So I wasn't pre-med undergrad. So I still had to, um, I had to take physics and organic chemistry after I graduated. So um, we won the national championship my fourth year. And, you know, essentially like several days later, we're, you know, we were walking the lawn with our national championship, you know, trophy and our sticks. And it was a magical moment. And then like, I think literally a week later, I'm at Villanova taking physics, you know, I'm like, oh, great. You know, what, what a summer I'm going to have. So I think I did, you know, physics that summer. And then I returned to Charlottesville and got a job in a lab down there and took organic chemistry at the community college down there. Was it, was it Piedmont Community College, something like yeah, that? I think that's right. Yeah. And so um, that was my fifth year. I applied to med school, got into Medical College of Pennsylvania up in Philly. So I went back to Philly there for four years. And then funny enough, you know, we're in California now. We had to, you know, I had to do a bunch of interviews for residency. Um, and I was going to do emergency medicine. And so you do all these trips to figure out, you know, where you want to go. You know, a lot of the good programs were on the East Coast, but um one of my best friends from UVA, Megan Cast, lived in San Francisco. And another good friend, Blair Ford, was in business school at Stanford. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to apply to Stanford and see if I can get an interview so I can visit those guys. And I got an interview. And so it was a great weekend. But of course, you know, you fall in love with California. And I remember coming back and 
let's see, I think this is, yeah, Tim and I just had gotten married in my fourth year of med school. And I said, I know you, you think this is going to be crazy, but I really think we should rank Stanford number one. I think we'd have a really good life out there. And it was kind of like that match process where you rank them, they rank you and you meet somewhere in the middle or wherever. And Tim and I like worked forever on like the spreadsheet of like, you know, all these variables, like where family is, the weather, you know, job opportunities for Tim. And, and every time these, you know, ones would come to the top and Tim and I are like, well, that can't be right. And what we wanted is we really wanted Stanford for some reason, we just wanted to be out there. And so for no reason whatsoever, I ranked Stanford number one and I matched there. And so we moved to California, Tim didn't have a job. And uh, we said, you know, it's okay. It's only going to be three years and then we'll go back East, you know, and um, be with family, et cetera. And, you know, that was 1998 and we're still here. So <laughs> California is a way of doing that to you. Oops. Right. Oops. Oops. They say, but they say that a lot of people say you move out to California, you never move back. Right. So yeah. uh, I, I've seen that before. Now there are a lot of imps that are out there, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, we see, we're really good friends with Mike Smith and um, Lino, Stephen Lino Weaver. They're both up Berkeley, Oakland area. And we see that, well, we were seeing them quite a bit, um, but parenthood and pandemic have kind of derailed that. But um, yeah. And then, yeah, there's lots of people migrating out this way. It's really nice. So tell me then uh, now, where are you living exactly? Tell me about family situation, kids, all that all stuff. Right. Yeah. Let's see. So um, we're in Menlo Park, which is just right next to Stanford in the Bay Area. Um, three kids, 17, almost 15 and 13, boy, boy, girl. I, let's see, I was working in emergency medicine since residency. And then in 2013, um, Tim and I were kind of hankering for a change. And um, he, I think he had just left a job and I was very like, I was working the least amount of hours I could work to still be full time. And um, friends of ours were going to Barcelona for the year. And, um, we kind of were like, God, that would be awesome. You know, why can't that be us? And then it's kind of like, well, why, why couldn't that be us? And maybe that should be us. And next thing you know, and this is kind of how our marriage works. We're like, well, let's just put our house on Craigslist to see, you know, if we can rent it. And next thing you know, our house is rented and we're like, oh my God, like, where are we going to go? And so then it quickly became, okay, well, let's go abroad. And then let's go to a Spanish speaking country. And then let's go to Spain. And I mean, it was, and this is, I don't know, May and the school year starts in, you know, August and we had to find a place to live. And I mean, it was just, it was totally the wrong way to go about it, but we moved to Spain. <laughs> so we moved to Barcelona in 2013 and, um, and we only had intentions for staying for one year, but then Tim actually took a job with a startup over there and kind of ran the company for another year. So we got to stay there for two years. So we had a two-year adventure in Spain. What was the catalyst to finally come back? Unfortunately, two things. One was that Tim's, the company was supposed to be a, like a US-based, again, this is his conversation, a US-based company. So the idea was that he would run it and then take it back to the US. So we knew we'd only be there for one more year, but then also my mom got diagnosed with cancer. So I think even if we had plans to stay for a third year, I would have had to come back at that point anyway. So we came back in 2015 and um, I then started working back in the emergency department and my mom, well, actually my mom passed away in 2016. And then after that, I went back to the emergency department for a couple of years, um, still hated it. I was really burnt out. 
And then oddly enough, I, I left in gosh, 2018 and a nurse that I had worked with saw me and she said, Hey, listen, a neighbor is looking for a wellness manager. Do you have any interest? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what is that? She's like, I don't either. She's like, but let me put you in touch. And um, so this elderly philanthropic couple who happened to live in my neighborhood wanted a wellness manager. And I was kind of looking for a job where I could kind of be a mom and have a job in medicine at the same time. And this kind of fit, but it had some weird, weird strings attached. We had to move next door to them, even though it's in our neighborhood they had built this fabulous house next door for their wellness manager. And I said to them in the interview, I'm like, I don't, I I can do this job from home. I, I, you know, you you live two minutes away. They're like, no, 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 you have to live next door. And I'm like, okay. And you know, the kids could stay at the same schools. It was the same neighborhood. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And we got to rent out our house again. Um, So it worked out, but that probably was not the smartest move because that kind of is what, killed the job two years later. I, I, you know, so the job lasted for two years. <laughs> that, I, when you're living right next door, does that mean it's like a 24 hour a day type of thing or was no, there boundaries? No, I made sure that was in my contract, that that was not the case because you could see that happening. Right. Um, and they were actually very good about that, about, you know, kind of keeping to their hours. So that was good. Um, and unfortunately I signed this like ironclad confidentiality agreement until the day I die. Right. So I can't really speak much about the job or them at all. Um, but I can, um, say that it was fun in the sense that I got to like, like learn about like nutrition and exercise and stress management and all the fun stuff about health that I never got to take care of before. So that was fascinating, but it was a very, uh, high customer service job and that's, you know, emergency medicine is not that way. So I wasn't really fit for that, <laughs> fit for that job. It sounds like it was a good chapter to add to the book and a good chapter to move on from, right? That's, that is a great way of putting it. I'm, I'm happy for the experience and I'm happy to be out of that experience. And how old were the kids while this is going on? And what were, what was their take on it? Were they like, wait, we're moving two minutes away to. Yeah. So when we told them, they're like, why? What? You know, we've got a trampoline. Like, what are you doing? You know, we live on a cul-de-sac. And then I took them over to see the house and like, literally they're like, when can we move? <laughs> so they were all in. And then let's see, I'm trying to think they were in like, I don't know, sixth, uh, is that right? Sixth grade? No, seventh grade, eighth grade. I don't know. Eighth, sixth and fourth grade, let's call it when we moved over there. Um, and they could still bike to school and it was, it was good. And, uh, yeah, I, I, they liked, they liked the house, but, um, my daughter, I think, um, could see, she kind of got the idea of the job and she's like, I don't think you like your job very much. And so she got it. But when, when I quit and we had to move back, my middle son had a suite set up. He had his own, like almost own floor, you know, and there was a gym and he had like the gym outside of his room and like no one was ever around. And I think he still resents me to this day that I pulled him out of that scenario. Yeah, I can, we can all tell that you're a pretty bad parent. So yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, ask my kids. I mean, gosh, you took them to Barcelona to live for two years. They're probably now pretty good in Spanish, which means they didn't need to study as much in school in that one particular class. But you're a terrible parent and they're probably, well, you know, they probably don't play sports. So yeah, well, I can tell you that literally the whole time we were over there, two of them definitely resented being there. 
And, you know, I was told multiple times by multiple people, like they will appreciate it later. And now they do, of course, but literally the summer in between our two years, we like went home for a little bit, see our families. We went back, the kids were like in the pool and my daughter may was, I don't know, she's in, she was in first, going into first grade. So she was really young and she couldn't swim still. And she was like, just holding on to the side. And she's like, well, and she was just so mad that we were there. And she's like edging her way down the pool. And she goes, I'm going to go to the deep end and drown. And then I'm moving back to California. You know, <laughs> she wanted nothing to do with Barcelona, but um, yeah. So the kids, they all learned Spanish and two of them are fluent. May, May kind of resisted. She had all of her English speaking friends and, you know, but she still takes Spanish, but it was, it was a really, really good experience for all of us to kind of get out of this bubble and, and see kind of, you know, to be the new kid, the, the outsider, the one who can't speak the language. It was, it was a struggle for me. I mean, we didn't speak Spanish, Tim did, but um, that was really hard. It was a hard, 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 but fun couple of years. Yeah. It's really hard to order a Slurpee from 7-Eleven when you're, you don't speak Spanish, right? <laughs> I mean, and Tim still managed to find lottery tickets over there. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's good. That, that was his one requirement for wherever you move. It has to, yes. it has to get lottery tickets. That's yeah. Right. And we're still waiting to hit the big one. It's all right. It's right. You got to be in it to win it. Right. That's Just right. That. That's right. So, so May is 13. And then yeah. the, the boys, you said uh, the 15 year old and Patrick. seven. Okay. Yep. So so what's everybody into in your house? Like, are they sports related or do they? Oh, I totally lost. Drink drink tuna all day and wear (laughs) devil's hat. Like what's going on there? Yeah. By the way, my kids think it's a little bit odd about the whole devil thing. You know, they're like, what? Different generation. Um, Let's see. They're all, you know, um, into soccer. I lost that battle easily. Um, And I think Spain didn't help because lacrosse doesn't exist over there. And soccer, of course, is the religion. But um, Yeah. So my 17 year old is going to try to play in college. He's a junior. And then my 15 year old Patrick, he's, you know, playing soccer. My daughter, May, she's, she's split. She's like, can I play basketball lacrosse and soccer in college? I'm like, go for it. Yep. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that when they get to be May's age and, you know, my Samantha is only a year older than May. So she, they're now starting to get the kids to specialize in sports. Right. And yeah. like, I don't remember it back in our generation, we were playing two and three sports and it's kind of like, I remember growing up, if you didn't play two or three sports, it's kind of like, what's wrong with you? Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. The, the, I, maybe it's just because it's been commercialized and I'm sure everyone has an opinion on that, but that's great. So she wants to do all three. Great. Trust me, all, all three. And Tom, don't get me started on that specialization. Cause that's been like a pet peeve of mine forever. Like, I feel like I'm just like fighting the machine, you know, fighting against the machine. Um, because, you know, all these college coaches even say they want the multi-sport athlete, but the kids can't do it because the club coaches won't let them and the tournaments that happen. Like, it's just, you know it, they can't, you know, so right now May can, but her soccer coach doesn't want her playing lacrosse, you know, so, um, you know, decision is coming soon, but I'm trying to push it, you know, multi-sport as long as we can get away with it. Well, I seem to remember a lot of the women on your team at UVA also played field hockey. Is that correct? Or did I just That is right. No, no, that's right. Because we all played like field hockey, basketball, lacrosse. Like that was kind of like the combo. And um, Jane Miller was the coach of both hockey and lacrosse. So she would, you know, she recruited me for lacrosse and many other people, but she actually put our scholarship under field hockey. 
So she's like, you kind of need to play field hockey <laughs> or maybe it wasn't so under the, you know, not so dubious like that, but um, yeah. So a lot of us, not a lot, several of us play both. Yeah. I seem to remember, I think when I retold the story, because you do have revisionist history, I think I told my kids that you had to play both. If you oh, played, yeah, no. I think maybe I told Samantha, you know, well, back when I went to school, yeah. first, that's when she tunes off and doesn't even want to look <laughs> at me anymore. But I said, I think everyone had to play both. There was a scholarship reason for that. And it's, yeah. uh, you just kind of uh, made me remember exactly what that was. Yeah. So, okay. So now the kids are getting older, one almost going to be a senior and you get to go through the whole college process. That's mm -hmm. a joy. Enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hashtag not at all, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Just um, send me your cliff notes, Tom. Yeah, well, I've got a whole like spreadsheet, as you can imagine, right? I don't, Perfect. I don't so, so tell me, like, what's next, right? Do you stay in California? Like when the, let's say we fast forward 10 years, is it, do you think you're there for the duration? No, I, I mean, literally Tim and I would go abroad right now again, if the kids weren't so adamant about staying and, uh, you know, Patrick is like, yeah, I'll move back to Spain. Let's go somewhere. And the other two are kind of, you know, Kieran, like I said, is almost in college. So he kind of wants to finish out here and May said she's willing, but I don't, you know, Europe was very chauvinistic girls. You know, I remember going to a pediatrician and him saying, well, put her in dance or was it dance or something. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, where are the sports? And I could not, there were no girls soccer teams, there. I couldn't find basketball. I couldn't even find gymnastics. The closest thing I found was like a hip hop class for. So I think um, having a, an American girl who's sporty over there would be really tough. But anyway, um, yeah. So I think um, as soon as we can, we're going to go abroad again. That's awesome. And tell me about advice you'd give to today's imps. If you were walking around grounds and you wound up stumbling upon uh somebody wearing horns and carrying a pitchfork and you say, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what words of wisdom would you give them? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, this is probably very uh, just specific to my experience, but I would say get out of the lane you're in, just get out of your lane. Um, you know, before I went and did my study abroad, actually, when I came back from doing my study abroad, it's probably the worst semester at Virginia I had. I just I felt like I had grown so much from kind of that independent experience and kind of pushing myself and, you know, you know, being kind of in this very new world. And, um, and I came back and I felt like nothing had changed in my life at Virginia, same party, same bar, same people, everyone was great, but it was just a really kind of disconcerting experience. And I think that's when the imps happened. And I, and I think you've, alluded to this in some of your podcasts, like it was a like whole world I had never been exposed to through athletics. Right. And, um, and it was just, it, it was, it changed my trajectory. Um, and I mean, it really was such a blessing to meet those kind of people. And, you know, and so I would say to any imp, um, get out of your lane, you know, uh, meet whoever you can in a different lane through the imps, talk to your professors, you know, try to get to know them a little bit. I had the great fortune of kind of getting to know Mr. Mead um, um, through the imps and uh, my friendship with John Blank, um, especially that fifth year I was down there, John and I were very close. You lived with them. We were together a lot and um, 
hung out with Mr. Mead quite a bit. And that was just, you know, I think kind of getting out of my athletic lane um, was really um, a wonderful thing for me. And so I would just tell any imp just to um, try to jump lanes and see who you meet and what experiences you have. And the big takeaways for you personally from your time in Virginia, uh, you, you can, uh, not including anything about Tim, so <laughs> like, anything that you would walk away and you say, wow, that, you know, really shaped me that part of my life. Well, I mean, unfortunately it is athletics, right? I mean, that was such a game changer for me. And I think you probably know this, like you don't even realize what, impact or what kind of person it made you until like for me when I got in medicine and it was so non-collegial non-teamwork everyone was in their own silo and it was really like I was hitting a wall I, I remember being like what you're just so used to having to work with so many different people and get along with so many different people and problem solve you know be it on a field but it's problem solving and I think that was tremendous impact um for me in my professional life. Um, so athletics for one, but, um, I think really, you know, Tim and I keep, you know, always look, look for a, a change in our life, a different, like a way to grow. And I think kind of it harkens back to meeting imps and seeing, wow, there is so much more to this world than the little sliver that I know. And so I think I constantly have always looked for kind of, you know, um, other experiences where I can grow and, um, the imps definitely open that door for me. Yeah. It's a real eye opener and it makes you, like you say, get out of your lane, get out of your bubble, whatever it might be to just kind of realize there are other things. And that's probably what keeps life more exciting. Yeah. And I think maybe from the imps, that's what we both learned. It's like, okay, there's this whole world out there. That's not like a ball. Yes, not on a field. Right. And it's like, there's actually people who go to school here and do like amazing things. <laughs> and it's like, it's a cool experience to get to meet them. And I think uh, by virtue of us, we probably don't do as good a job as we should do, all of us, myself included, about keeping in touch. But yeah. I tell you, when we catch up, like when you and I caught up on the phone the other day for a couple minutes, I mean, it was like, like time stood still. It was like- I know, it's, I mean- <laughs> I don't know. I love, I mean, I love reconnecting with people. I think it was, um, I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to. I think it was John's, um, yours and John's. And um, no, it wasn't John's because what I did, I then called John to reconnect. I hadn't talked to him for a while and I missed John and he was such a big experience, a big part of my UVA experience. And then I also called Freddie, Mike Frederick, who is someone else you have got to interview because oh my god he's so flipping he's holding out on me he's claiming like super i don't know maybe he's running for office or doing something super <laughs> important like <laughs> i got the and if anyone's listening to this podcast if everybody could reach out to freddie okay <laughs> and peer pressure him into coming on that would be awesome but yeah oh, yeah that he's would be got, he's got some good stories yeah and yeah i mean he would be great. Anyway. Yeah. I try to reconnect with him. We, we kind of reconnect every once in a while, but yeah, it's, I love that feeling of reconnect. And then even, um, Tony Irving, it was before your podcast. I think we had a, had a back and forth email. We haven't been in touch since we left the university and it's just such a wonderful feeling to kind of get to hear what everyone is up to. And these, I mean, gosh, I mean, 
Tony makes me feel like I'm a child still. She's accomplished so much. I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, yeah, you know when you hear the story of, oh, I was hanging out with Obama at the gym. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. That's not true. Stop that. <laughs> you did not do that. But, yeah, so. I love that she's like, oh, yeah. And, you know, the best thing is I got that autographed book. I'm like, no, the best thing is that you can say you hung out with Obama. <laughs> right, right, right. She's like, she didn't even think about it. I'd be like, how do I monetize? Yeah. Book? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so what's next for Amy? What's the next project you're going to be working on or thing? I know motherhood is the biggie, but anything yeah. else going on? Um, I'd say two, um, God, see, I'm forgetting the expression, two Coals in the fire. No, what's two what? Irons in the fire? Irons in the fire, yep. Two irons in the fire. Um, one is I, I want to get back into some kind of non-clinical medicine, um, maybe some advocacy um, consulting, something like that. But that's hopefully in the future. And then um, I'm finishing up a book right now about our experience in Spain. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I won't make you tell us anything because I know it's, uh, it's, it's in process, but, uh, how long you've been working on it for? Um, let's see. Well, I kept a blog, um, when I was in Spain, just for my friends and family. And I kind of borrowed heavily from that because I, you know, trying to remember the details, as you can imagine, it's pretty tough. Um, so I would say that, um, I really started kind of during the pandemic, trying to put it together because I had time and, uh, and now I'm now kind of on version two and who knows if it'll go anywhere because version two is just, you know, very hard to sit down and look at a version two essentially, but we'll see. We'll see where All it goes. Right. So when version two comes out, you have about like 300 willing readers to. Perfect. Uh, to I'll sell that. 300 books. We'll <laughs> be all set. You'll have, you have three, 300 and then maybe a couple of spattering of family members and stuff like that. So you'll get, make it, you'll get at least 320 in there. That's there good. That, go. That's enough to cover the cost of it. That's fine. And, and when we interview you, you can tell us about your book, put in uh -huh. a little plug. Oh, a hundredth episode. We'll have to wait till that hundredth episode. <laughs> if, I, if I'm still alive at that point at the rate that I'm going here. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. It was great to hang out with you. Tom, it was awesome. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to the many more you're going to do because they're really fun. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I wanna tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing, don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.